0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan podcast, where every journey is worth living. My name is Dr. Dan, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm a bilingual cognitive behavior psychotherapist specializing in anger management issues, both court-appointed and private, marriage counseling using the EFT method, dissociative disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, depression, anxiety, dream analysis, and also provide life, business, and retirement coaching support. I provide individual one-on-one session in both French or English, and also do group settings. If you need any assistance, reach out to DMV therapy and coaching services at 301 325 And our website can be found at lifecoachdanamsalike.com. Today, I'm very excited to have our ninth episode of season 10, a very special guest and success coach expert, Robert Montcaster. And just like every of my past episode, I will leave it up to the guests to properly introduce themselves as no one can do a better job.
1: Robert, the floor is yours. Excellent, thanks, Dan, uh, Doctor Dan. Um, Yeah, my name is Robert Muncaster. Um, For the last twenty-five years, I've uh, been primarily involved in the debt collection industry. Um, And uh, nineteen ninety-six, I had a quite a turning point in my life—a catastrophic car accident. Um, And what that inspired me to do was um, to learn more about myself, learn about my behavior, and learn why did my brain change. What what changed? Being a brain injury, I I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, so it really caused me to dive deep and, you know, I, I experienced people saying, you look fine. Everything's good. You seem normal. And so nobody really, I didn't feel like anybody understood what I was going through because on the outside it, you know, I seemed to be functioning. And so for any, you know, to, I was challenged by that statement of you look fine, everything's fine. You look, you, you speak fine. And so, you know, it really struck me that people didn't see what was going inside my brain. Um, And so what that inspired me to do is to uh, seek education. Uh, I studied uh, psychology. I studied the brain function while I was going through my rehabilitation and really just took it upon myself to better understand, um, I guess, my, you know, how I function and, you know, what, what, um, what was causing me such strife and such uh, mental anguish. Um, And so gratefully, self-taught going through that, um, I've you know, been able to thrive as an entrepreneur, I've bounced back, and I'm here today to uh, definitely inspire and uh, perhaps share uh, my story so that you know, I'm sure other people will see some similarities and uh, grow from it.
0: Well, I'm sure that uh, they will. And thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be able to join us, uh, Robert. So um, what kind of like when, when you went through the accident, the, the car accident, and you went to a coma? How long were you in a coma for and when did you wake up? Did you, did you lose memory? Did you lose a lot of like ability to function properly? What happened?
1: Uh, I believe I was in a coma for three weeks. I wasn't consciously there. Um, so I I believe it was three weeks from my recollection and, you know, unlike, unlike the, the movies where, you know, somebody just the fingers snap and now they're out of a coma. Um, I had a Glasgow coma scale of, I think four. And so what the, what coming out of a coma was what it was a gradual process. It was a gradual reawakening. Um, my mother was there and kind of a a a hidden gift or an indirect gift she got to witness me behaviorally changing from when i was you know one month old to back to 19 years old when it happened and so she actually watched me grow up and my behavior and my my mannerisms and so you know going through that you know coming out of the coma um it was a very frustrating time i i, had, I was just filled with emotions and you know I, I i was you know hitting my arm against trying to get the cast off and hitting my arm against the concrete wall and and really being angry and frustrated trying to figure out what what changed what what was going on um so yes yeah, so the the coma it was three weeks but it was a gradual um you know gradual like a reawakening
0: yeah i see and after that uh, awakening um what brought you to wanting to understand more about the human brain, how the psychology behind it, what really brought you to become the person that you are today? Was there like a, a, some awakening that said, I need to learn more about that specific topic or you were just always curious to go and learning about psychology?
1: I've always been naturally curious, um, you know, through, you know, I, I was, uh when I was born, I was born with bilateral club feet. so the doctor told my parents I would never walk. And so I've always been a fighter. Uh, and 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 I never really walked into that doctor's office. I, I ran. Um, so I've always been a a, a hungry learner. Um, and so when I was going through this process, what frustrated me, what what really got me was, you know, I would be around friends and they would talk about, oh, remember this time and and you know, remember we were doing this and and i I, I was blank. And I was frustrated by, you know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I remember these? And, and what's the point of remembering? And so I, 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 you know, went to a library and I took out a psychology book and I learned what episodic memory is, long-term memory, short-term memory. And what I discovered is my episodic memory was diminished. And so episodic memory is like the episode. What, what color is the walls? What was the weather? You know, all the different minute details. Yeah. And so learning that my episodic, what seemed like my episodic memory, it was diminished. I, I quickly formulated a strategy of, okay, understanding long-term memory is facts, patterns, figures. And so I, I committed to whenever I wanted to remember something, I did my, I, I consciously converted it from an experience to a fact, a pattern, a figure. Um, and and that's what, you know, that's how I started uh, really rehabilitating was when i just shifted gears with my with my memory not relying on my short-term memory and, and more leaning on my long-term memory and you, so you remember the event of the accident but not the details
0: around that accident is that correct or you still are- no no
1: i i when i when the accident happened um i I lived about three minutes away from Royal Columbian hospital in British Columbia. And that is the neurological center hospital. That's where the, everybody in the province goes for traumatic brain injuries. And so I was three, I lived a couple minutes uh, walk from the hospital. And so most accidents, as they say, happen within a very close proximity yes. of your home.
0: Correct.
1: And so, you know, God's grace um, I was in the exact right spot when this happened. So an ambulance was there, um, uh, three blood transfusions. Jen, uh, honestly, I don't remember what happened in the accident. Uh, I, I remember going back to where it happened, walking and just staring blankly and just, you know, what, what, what happened. And, um, to this day, I can only rely on what other people have suggested. You, you've mentioned before the, the recording
0: of this podcast that doctors will not, or give a, a, gri- a very grim, um, diagnosis to your parents about, the the potential of you losing your life, what was exactly the, those details?
1: So when I got to the hospital, um, they start, I, I, I was losing blood and, um, my parents, they, they asked my parents, my mother, they got there and, um, asked her to identify me. And she said, that's not him. And my eyes were, you know, filled with blood and, and she couldn't really see much. And I was very inflated. And, and what they realized when she said he's not that big, they realized that I was um, I was bleeding internally. And I, I was having a, a, a per, I had a perforated bowel from the seatbelt. And I, um, I believe they put me on morphine. And they quickly realized I was allergic to morphine. So in that process, um, the doctor told my parents that there was a a 95% chance that I wasn't going to make it.
0: Whoa, okay. And what was the the, the process of recovery afterwards, Robert? I mean, from the time that you left the hospital to the time that you became 100% functional, what was the time in between?
1: Um, I would say it was a six months seven months um, I, I remember because I lived so close to the hospital and my best friend lived in the same apartment building he lived uh, upstairs and I remember I was in a gown you know I was in hospital clothes and a robe of course and I remember walking down the street and going back to his place and having coffee with him I used to go upstairs and we used to have coffee all the time and it was just the drive for me to go back to a normal, routine back to a routine that i believed i knew so i remember you know not sneaking out just walking yeah. out of the hospital and going and having coffee and i knocked on his door and he's said what are you doing here you're, you should be at the hospital do they even know you're gone like what are you doing it you know and and that was the i remember specifically that was the start of me just you know showing and just driving forward um after i was released from the hospital i i Uh, I was at my parents, I was sleeping 18, 19 hours a day as my brain is is healing. And I remember being at my parents house, I was in my sister's room, she had just left and I, you know, out of, you know, sleeping that much and being awake a couple hours a day, I remember my mom coming into the room and saying, you know, we talked to your dad, and we both believe that you're going to be the most successful of our children. um, But we don't think you're going to live past 30. And I was 19 and I just took it as like, how could you say that? And, you know, and, and I just took that as an opportunity to just go home. I said, I'm, I'm leaving. I, I don't want to be here and I want to go home and I want to, and I remember uh, my apartment, I, I wanted to move a different apartment and, and this is, you know, within months of this car accident, within weeks of me leaving the hospital. And I remember my, my landlord said I could move to this better apartment, but I had to paint. And so I had a broken collarbone, I had a wrist a cast on my wrist. And I I, one of those pit one of those spot weld moments of that time was was I remember pushing against the roller with my cast and and painting, even though I was I was sleeping 18 hours a day. And, um, you know, it was just persisting and just driving not not knowing not realizing there was an alternative just just I got to move forward I have to, I have to survive. And when did you decide to become a success, a success coach? Uh, so the, my accident happened in September of 96. In July of 96, I was introduced to personal development. So um, I took my first uh, personal development course called the Pursuit of Excellence. And, you know, I've always had a, you know, I, as, a, as a child, I was a sales, I sold chocolate bars when I was 12 years old in front of banks. And <laughs> I was very entrepreneurial. And I, I simply, I have a gift of the gap. Okay, And I I simply love helping people and and seeing people improve their lives based on, you know, um, me interacting with them and and seeing a pivotal change. And, you know, I I don't think there's any greater feeling as a human being than helping other people and, and affecting change in somebody's life.
0: I so agree with that uh, statement, uh, Robert. So um, for our listeners, what would you recommend for for those who actually went through a very traumatic experience, either an accident such as yours or a sickness or whatever it is? What would be uh, like more of a practical approach for them to be able to start taking control of their life and not have that victim mentality? because most of them do have it and they stick with that uh, mentality and they never really progress in life. So how do you get out of that zone? If we could call that.
1: Uh, be clear on what your purpose, what, you know, how I, how I really moved forward was being clear on my purpose. Um, I think, you know, Dr. Frankel um, he created the, the school of logotherapy and what he believes. And I, I truly believe, I truly agree with it from my experience is um therapy through purpose i think if one has a a clear enough destination to get to these these speed bumps in life they aren't as significant and i think once you know if just have that clear goal in mind and i and i i from my experience you know these these little ripples in life they they aren't they don't affect me i'm too busy going in this direction i don't have time to stop and and complain about or, or worry about a speed bump um you know, and that's I think that's the greatest thing that I learned was just be focused on my destination. And, you know, just like driving a car, how many of those those signs on the side of the road do I remember when I was so clearly focused on getting to where I was going?
0: Uh, frankel is it the guy from the Holocaust that saw all the, the people die around him and that made him want to, to move forward and still uh, stay
1: alive. Yes. Yeah, so he was a psychiatrist before he was interned at Auschwitz yeah. and he was a psychologist psychiatrist and his goal, his purpose, his, his vision was that he was going to see his family, yes. that he was, he was going to bring his family back together. And so that was his meaning. That was, that's what kept him sane in these, these, this, such egregious circumstances. And it allowed him to focus on, on helping other people. And, and, you know, um, speaking with uh, the other the other prisoners the other um the other people there and so yeah it made a huge difference for him and when he got it, the book is a uh, man's search for meaning victor frankl mm-hmm. yes. and when he got out from what i recall he found out that his his family had perished he had lost his family and he went on to build the school of logotherapy in vienna okay. and logotherapy is therapy through meaning and, you know, that that's the importance of being clear on purpose and, and having a direction because once I have purpose, you know, these, these, these seemingly in the moment, significant events are, are a small blip. They're, they're not important enough to stop. I'm too busy getting to my, to where I'm going. So, okay. So in your case, you, you had a vision, you had a purpose, as you mentioned, but those
0: who have got everything in life and they've lost everything. Now, you know, when when you had something and you lose it, recreating another purpose, because maybe sometimes you feel that your past was not really your calling. Maybe you want to redirect your past and your present into something different. So how do you reboot your mind to be able to allow that new purpose to enter your life?
1: Being clear on purpose and then taking small steps towards it. Um, how, however tiny this step is once I start moving in that direction, then, you know, I start other things fall into place and, and I start to see a clear path. Okay. You know, I think the most important thing is to just take action, just regardless of what insignificant or however seemingly small that action is, just do it, just, just move forward. Um, you know, I, I think I, I believe in time travel in a sense that, Any experience that I've had in my lifetime is in my memory. So whether it was in the Dominican Republic and the the Caribbean sun beating down and and my feet in the sand and and experiencing the, the, the aroma... I can go back to that moment at any time and it will actually cause the same chemical reaction in my body as when I was there. And so if I'm in a moment of of strife, of of anguish, you know, if I'm conscious enough, I can go back to, you know, I mentioned Dominican, which is a, a spot weld moment for me in my life. And I can go back to those moments and I can re-experience it. My body doesn't know that I'm not there physically. It, it's, it's giving me the, the serotonin and the, all the endorphins. And, and I actually feel like I'm there. And so, you know, I, I think that's been one of my greatest saving graces is, is, is being able to time travel. And I know it's a, a far out there <laughs> sense of uh, defi- or a suggestion, but it, it's completely possible in our mind. It's, it's so powerful.
0: Oh, absolutely. And have you? Um, well, how long did it take you after the accident to get back into driving? Because I know a lot of people they they're too afraid to go back and face uh, like another vehicle and the potential, you know, possibility of getting back into an accident. So, how long did it take you to go back into a car?
1: I believe it was a year and a half, and so when my accident, when I was going through my rehabilitation and I couldn't drive, I I, uh, I had a vision of um, getting an Acura 1.6. They were pretty new on the market, and I thought, oh, uh, an economy Acura, this is great. I can I can drive an Acura, and you know, and so I remember looking at pamphlets and seeing this Acura, and I I, I've, I lost vision in my my right eye from the car accident, and so I didn't know if I could get my license, and so I hesitated, and then. I just decided to go into the driver's services and I told them I said you know I was in an accident I don't know if I can drive I don't know if my peripheral vision is sufficient to be able to drive. And they said no problem just do a test. And so I they put me on the light the peripheral test and I I could see the light flashing in the right side so I had enough vision to see the light flashing and so I was able to pass the peripheral test and they said no you can drive go ahead no problem. And So, you know, I I was able to drive. And then I remember driving, I was in uh, Victoria getting off the ferry and it was dark and and having a different depth perception, not no depth perception, but different terrified me. I thought I was driving into a wall, the whole, like, as I'm driving, I I just kept seeing like, there's this wall right in front of me. And, and it was just, you know, just my mind playing tricks on me. I just laugh and say, there's no wall there's a road it's fine just just keep going just don't worry about it and and over time um i adapted to it I, over time it was you know uh, that's the way it is and i don't need to be afraid of something that's not there it, it doesn't exist why am i projecting that it's it's there when i know better? You gain the vision of the right eye was it completely- no um so the the hood went through the windshield and um it it poked my eyes so my retina detached it destroyed my lens um so i've got what they call get by vision okay. um so i've got maybe you know 10 percent vision it's very blurry it's like looking through a stained glass wall from you know 50 meters away it's it's
0: oh yes okay okay well wow.
1: um so now in
0: your success coach uh, practice um how do you help people you know, go through those difficult times or those difficult challenges, because obviously everyone has a different story. So it's hard for when you go into a group and you present your services, et cetera, it's hard to be able to pinpoint what everyone is going through. So do you do like something more generalized so someone in the audience can actually capture that message and it may affect them in a particular way?
1: Uh, well, I provide a bit of um, foundation. Great question. Thank you. So I do provide a bit of foundation, um, namely my definition of, of, of happiness. Okay. And to me, happiness is to be without mental anguish. Okay. And, and so, you know, it's, it's laying a bit of a context of why we're here. And then, you know, I, I think the most important thing for people that are going through um, um, turmoil or, or apparent trouble is to just let them speak. You know, what I learned going through my, my car accident when people were saying, you know, uh, you look fine, everything's great, you, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. Oh, everybody's like that. Everybody's memory, you know, just listen. You know, when, when I speak, whether it's to a wall, whether it's to another person, my brain hears it and I allow it to process more instead of having it bottled up, um, just speak it, speak it out. And then my brain can hear it auditorily through my ears. So I'm hearing it from a different perspective and and I have an opportunity to say, well, that's not really like that. It's, you know, and then I can start to process it. I think the most important thing for people, you know, for, for anybody going through a a tough time is to talk it out. Um, And, and you know, if you have a great listening friend, or if you have somebody, or if you don't talk to a wall, because (laughs) it's therapy, it allows me to process it from a completely different angle. And, you know, I, I think the best people in my life are the ones that I can, I can just speak and they don't throw their opinion. They don't, they, they just, they, they actively listen. So they ask questions to pull it out without offering their subjective ideas towards it because, uh, you know, it, it, it's not their experience. So how can they ever, how can they ever relate?
0: That is so true, uh, Robert. Absolutely. Now, um, we, we all know that happiness is not sustainable. So in your, in your own personal life, how do you keep yourself happy? How, what kind of like daily practices do you put in to be able to at least keep a normal level, not too much of the highs, not too much of the lows but
1: kind of like a cruising speed. Um, I, you know, I enjoy um, reading, you know, current events. I enjoy reading a book and I, I, I make sure I don't get myself too consumed in what's going on for me. Uh, you know, with the, the, the challenges I have in my business or the, you know, the day to day operations. And, you know, I make sure that I, I give myself time to be outside of myself. So I keep the monkey chatter in my brain down okay. uh, because, you know, if, if I'm just if I'm just, you know, quiet and solid and, and feeling a bit of anguish, they're, they're just screaming in my ear and, and I can choose to focus on it. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I'm not a hugely religious person, um, but one of the things most spoke most repeated in the Bible is and so it came to pass. And to me, that statement is so powerful, because regardless of, of how challenging the circumstances in the moment, if I can snap out of it for just a second and say, and so it came to pass, I know that it, there's going to be an end. I know that it's going it's it's going to be a blip in the radar eventually and and simply just keep moving forward.
0: So obviously, like we all know that, you know, the, when it rains after the rain, there's the sunshine. So you know that after this certain bad time that you're experiencing, you will see sunshine eventually. So a lot of people, like they when they're in that dark tunnel, Robert, They fail to be able to see the end, I mean, the light at the end of that tunnel. They feel that there's no way to be able to have a good sense of direction. So, when someone comes to you and they're going through like financial distress, what what kind of um, advice would you give someone, especially when it comes to uh, money management? Um, those who actually are overspender, those who are too frugal, how, how do you like, I know you said that you're more in the financial side, right. For the success coach. So tell me about, or tell the listeners about what kind of like, um, advice would you give them when it comes to managing their money, especially in this inflation period?
1: Well, I, I think it's important, um, you know, from a financial is how you do anything is how you do everything, Dr. Dan. And so how I go through life is how I treat my finances. And for me, you know, having a goal and it's a roadmap, I, where do I want to get to, where am I now? And what's the, what, what steps do I take in between to get there? I think, you know, again, it comes back to purpose, having that end, end goal in mind, and really believing it, feeling it, tasting it, touching it, seeing it, smelling it—like really, really picturing myself at that goal, what it what it is—you know—that's the most important step. Besides taking an inventory and saying, "Okay, where am I now?" Uh, I think one of the biggest travesties is the term "what is isn't." Mm-hmm. I think you know the fear of the unknown, the fear of worsening; these are these are crazy negative drivers for 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 me, for for humans. And so just knowing where I want to get to and then taking an inventory where I am now, you know, somebody in a dark tunnel that doesn't see the light, you know, my, I guess my advice would be just keep going. You're going to make it, you're, you're every, you know, you're going to get there. And, but on the same token, I think it's so important to you know, take an inventory and, and listen, where are you? And what's the worst that could possibly happen? What's the best that could possibly happen? And, and I think once, you know, I get the, the, the shades off, and I can actually start seeing a, a little farther ahead, you know, that that fear of worsening that fear of the unknown becomes a little more comfortable, because I've already dealt with the, you know, the worst case scenario, the best case scenario, and where I'd be happy. You know, I think our, we're very powerful. Our, our mind is is incredibly creative. You know, the, the whole, the definition of paying attention, pay attention. What is that? Well, that's to pay attention is to exert mental energy into the physical to manifest it. So whatever I'm paying attention to, I'm exerting this powerful energy and I'm going to create it. And so what am I paying attention to? Am I paying attention to, you know, Eeyore, it's going to rain? Or am I paying attention to the rainbow after the rain? Or, you know, what am I paying attention to? What am I speaking? What am I, you know, listening to my dialogue when I'm speaking with people? That's a great indicator of where, where my headspace is at. So, you know, I think it's just being conscious of where I am and where I want to get to. And and I think the means take care of themselves in between.
0: I'm sure that in your practice, you must uh, preach the laws of attraction. Or do you believe in that, that thought becomes the things that you think about? Or is there like a lot more involved to be able to? Obviously, um, we know that you have to have the belief and action because thoughts cannot just become things if you don't have those two ingredients. So in your practice, what? How do you? Or how would you tell to the listeners, and this will be the last question, to be able to kind of like apply those laws, and you'll be able to see some great results.
1: You know the great one of the great lines I've heard is "Speak what you seek until you see it," and so yeah, I do believe that our our mind is is incredibly powerful, and I think what I put in my mind, the picture in my mind, is what I'm going to create, mm-hmm. and so if that picture in your mind is. Um, not working for you then you can always change it you can always you know whether it's a vision board and opening cutting out magazines and seeing pictures of where i want to you know is it the beach is it you know and and just putting paying attention putting out the mental energy to the physical world uh whatever i pay attention to i expand Mm -hmm. and so pay attention That, that you know i think that's the bottom line is pay attention uh and pay attention to what you're paying attention to
0: Mm -hmm. that's so good and um so if you could tell the listeners where can someone find you if someone's going through some uh, distress right now how they can find you either on social media or on youtube whatever it is
1: you can find me my email or my website is robertmuncaster.com. that's the best place to start send me an email uh i i you know as i said my one of the greatest gifts in life is is the greatest feeling in life is to help is to help another human being. And so if there's anything that I can be of service to, um, please don't hesitate, send me an email. And uh, uh, I would love to uh, share whatever gifts it is that I've been given.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Robert, that is all the time that we have for today's podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time of your busy schedule to join us. And thank you again for participating and inspiring our many listeners with your incredible story. Now, we hope that you've all enjoyed today's episode. I'm also very excited about the many upcoming guests that we have scheduled for season 10 of the Happiness Journey podcast, filled with inspirational stories, just like the one that you listened to today. Now, here are some concluding words of wisdom. First, forget inspiration. Habit is more dependable. Habit will sustain you whether you're inspired or not. Habit will help you finish and polish your stories. Inspiration won't. Habit is persistent in practice. So if you feel inspired by this message, then you are on the wrong track, as my words mean nothing if you don't change your habit that will change your circumstances. You must apply what you get inspired from to make the changes needed in your life. If you're eager for a better life, start by implementing your goals and dreams and not leave any stones unturned. You're in full control of what you listen to every day. Yes, words can help. Inspirational episodes such as this one can take you to the next level. But if that new level do not help you in taking affirmative action towards your goal, these inspirational episodes such as this podcast are simply worthless. So go out there, grab life by its horn and tackle it to the ground. If other successful people did it, you can too. My name is Dr. Dan Amzalag, and you may all keep pursuing your amazing journey in life.